Hello, welcome to the Dentist Puppet Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Harry Singh, helping you grow your face as a business. Really excited with today's guest, someone I've known, I won't say how many years because it'll give our ages away, <laughs> um, but it's one of the first people I met when I started my aesthetics career, going to conferences, etc. So a big warm welcome to Vicky Eldridge. Hi, thanks for having me. No problems, Vicky. So just in case anyone's been living under a stone or rock or <laughs> for the last 20 years and they don't know who you are, if you just want to uh, give a brief intro um, to yourself, how you got involved in aesthetics, what you've been doing in aesthetics and what you're currently doing. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's really lovely to chat to you and I will give it away because I've been in aesthetics for <laughs> 20 years now which is terrifying um when I think about it um I I got into aesthetics because I was a newspaper journalist to start with I worked on a local newspaper and um, I did that for a few years when I first qualified as a journalist and um but I wanted to move to London I wanted to sort of be doing something that I was interested in but I had a whole like broad spectrum and it was like beauty or food or anything that got me to London, basically. And I got a job on um, Professional Beauty magazine as a features writer. Okay. And at the time, they gave me a um, a medical, like a sort of medical aesthetic style feature to write once a month. And so I started looking into the industry and it was at that time where there was literally just collagen injections, a couple of CO2 lasers, yeah. uh, Botox, you know, but there wasn't really that much else going on on the market in the, the sort of earlier days. And um, but I had so many people who wanted to be involved in those articles okay. and there was like scope for a whole magazine. And yeah. um, I met Emma Davies, who is a um, I'm sure people know, a wonderful nurse practitioner who's been in the industry, one of the founders of the, the BACN. And she said, you should do a whole magazine on this. So we basically did. <laughs> that was 20 years ago. We launched the Aesthetic Medicine magazine, the Aesthetic Medicine Conference, the Aesthetic Medicine Awards. And then over the last 20 years, that's basically what I've done. I've been involved in the setting up of Cosmetic News, which has now become Aesthetics Journal, the um, Ace Conference, the Aesthetic Awards, um, all of these events and magazines um, within the industry. And um, it's been a really exciting sort of career as the industry has exploded over 20 years. Um, And then right now what I'm doing is um, I'm freelance now, so I consult for a lot of those businesses I still write I do events I've just launched um with Charlotte Body and aesthetic um uh, sourced associates aesthetic associates is her company and um, we've just launched menopause in aesthetics which was a really exciting conference that we held um a couple of weeks ago and um it was amazing it was a really really good event um you know we had it at the Wardorf Hotel it was sold out and there was just a real passion for learning and it reminded me of those early days of aesthetics so yeah it's all it's never never slows down <laughs> no no I always remember you seeing at your conferences and exhibitions always with a cup of coffee because you're always running around needing <laughs> late, um, coffee morning, late finishes except first yeah, okay so obviously being in the industry for quite a long time you set up your own businesses yeah. and companies what was one of the best lessons or advice you got when you were starting your own businesses I think when I went self-employed, so when I set up all of these other events, I had somebody else who was sort of the financial person, the person who owned the business, and I was a member of staff. So I didn't really have to take on any of the risk. I could just go with the ideas and, you know, and... um, and, and, and it was very different when I went self-employed. 
the timing of my self-employment was not great. I went self-employed in March 2020. Um, yeah. And of course, so many of the clinics in our industry uh, shut down. So the biggest thing for me then, the, the most valuable thing somebody advised me was to value my time, to value myself in terms of what I was charging. Because yeah. I was in a fear mindset around money. I was like, oh, it's a pandemic. Everyone's closed. Nobody's more going to pay for my services. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I've got into that sort of fear state around um, valuing myself and what to charge, you know, at, at that time. And going from being employed for 20 years where you, you know, it's very different to running your own business. And um, that was the most important thing I was told. And I remember the first time I sort of told somebody what my fees were, I cringed because I was nervous about saying. And actually, ironically, my fees are now another third more than that um as a basic but initially I was so worried about it and I just remember like hiding thinking oh no they're gonna think I'm charging too much Mm. and no one did people said oh great thanks you know like um and um that was the biggest sort of thing and I've over the last three years being self-employed that that has become a really solid sort of foundation that I'm like I really value my my time my knowledge and I'm not um, as afraid to ask for what I want in terms of financially. And that's been a big lesson for me. No, you definitely have to believe what you're worth. And we get with our delegates that come on our course, they go, I can't charge a thousand pounds for a filler package, mm. etc. Well, if you don't believe it in yourself, how are you going to convert? That's going to come across when you tell the patient because. Absolutely. Yeah, because if you never ask, the answer is always going to be no. So. <laughs> yeah of course and I was really surprised when I sort of first asked and nobody questioned nobody said oh no I charge too low if it was said yes then they go, no one saying yes you're charging not enough <laughs> and the thing is ultimately some people will say no yeah. but if that's what your sort of bottom line is and if that's how you want to create your work-life balance and all of these things then I guess you can make a decision to say okay I'll do this particular job for less or you can say no and I think that's I think I felt when I first went self-employed I had to say yes to everything yeah. And I've learned that I don't. And that's really good. <laughs> now, a lot of clinicians, facial aesthetic clinicians, when they first start, they want to help everyone and say yes to everyone. And either they're not suitable for treatments or they want the cheapest price. And my experience, the ones that always go for the cheapest price in terms of patients, they're the ones that cause the biggest problems. And the ones that pay yes. and they're the most <laughs> relaxed and forgiving patients you can treat. And it's the same with what I do, you know, with copywriting or with events organising. The people that want me to do it for half of what I would usually charge usually want the most of my time and cause me the most headaches. Whereas the clients that will pay, you know, a higher fee or pay that just pay it without questioning it, they're just much more easygoing. And it's true, I think, in a lot of cases. And and sometimes, you know, when you're running your own business, it swings and roundabouts, isn't it? But I think... um, you know it's a good way to start from that this is what I value my time and I'm really sorry I can't do it for less than that and I hated having that conversation uh, uh, talking about money and I know a lot of practitioners feel the same and yeah. um, I hadn't ha- ever had to do it I was always employed yeah yeah so, and I never liked asking for a pay rise when I was employed <laughs> so. maybe we should do another podcast episode name and shame all these tight buggers in the industry <laughs> no. that could be your next book so obviously you've been involved in the industry conferences and magazines have you seen a trend change away from mainly because i know we obviously started aesthetics industry at the same time more from it was all about clinical work and there wasn't many subjects articles or speakers talking about 
business and marketing. Mm. They changed because I know, especially with aesthetic medicine, it was almost 50 50 business and clinical. Yeah, we've noticed a real change in that. And I think it's, um, you know, we had conferences like the consulting room used to do smart ideas. And yeah. um, I work a lot with Danny Large from DSL Consulting. And he's always been, you know, like focused on giving education around the business side of things. And at Aesthetic Medicine, we've always had like business workshops. And the demand for that is definitely, because the industry is more competitive now, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, there's so many more people coming into aesthetics. There's lots of competition. And we've got social media, which didn't exist when we were, I mean, I don't think it existed at all when I first started in the industry. And yeah. then it came in, but you were just on Facebook to connect with your friends. You certainly didn't use it um, as a as a business tool. And so now there's so much competition out there that I think people really um, need to see it as a business um, as well and that's the part that a lot of clin clinical people struggle with they've got right. their clinical skills they go on training courses and, and learn how to do the um, injectables parts or the, the peels parts or the, all these different treatments um, and that sort of aligns more with whatever their background was yeah. in clinical training that sort of sits there if you come from the NHS again like me being employed you won't have had experience necessarily running your own business in charging people in in setting up all of these different things that go along with that so yes we've really noticed that that's become a huge and important part of um of what it means to be an aesthetic practice yeah. there's those two sides there's the business side and there's the clinical side yeah as you said you're running a business and when we get nurses and doctors come on our course um i always get flabbergasted when they ask me when do we ask the patient for the money and being mm. dentists, we're used to asking patients for money. That's um, true, yes. <laughs> yeah, the doctors and nurses are not, and they go, and yeah, you got, it's a skill, but obviously they have to learn that skill. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of, I was going to ask you what mistakes people make when they do marketing, but I'm going to reverse it, because obviously you know a lot of top clinicians. What have you seen the clinicians that made the marketing or the business side work? What, what have they done differently, or what are they doing that others are not doing? I think the biggest thing is that because we're in a sort of unregulated market where there's this um, fear for some patients around treatments. And I think where people sometimes go a little bit awry is that they will try and focus too much on what other people are doing wrong rather than what I'm there doing well. Yeah. And I think the most successful marketing or certainly the marketing that reson resonates with me is where people are being um you're getting a sense of them as a person because again if there's that lack of empathy um or that lack of connection with your audience yeah. um and it seems too clinical almost and, and there's this fine line between right we need to let people know these are medical treatments these are clinical treatments um but at the same time the reason that patients are attracted to go to somewhere is that they feel safe they feel listened to um that you're solving their problem so i yeah. think the most successful marketing i see is where um practitioners are you can really relate to them where they can come across their personality comes across where it seems like they really understand the problem that the patient has and then they're offering a solution to that problem and um, and letting people know that that's that they understand you're feeling like this or you may be feeling like that um rather than I don't like too many things with too many needles in them I think that scares patients yeah. off you know and and talking too much about what other people are doing wrong or what's that what goes wrong um it's important that there's education around that but I think the focus should be doing this is what we're doing well this is why come to us and this is how we can solve your problem yeah perfect 
Yeah, and what you said earlier on the beginning where people are looking at what other people are doing or slating other people, if people spent the same amount of time on their own business as they do looking at other people's business, yes. <laughs> they would have a successful business. And you can see the successful people haven't got time to look at anyone else or see no. what anyone else is doing, etc. Um, and obviously you've been a judge and you've kind of invited me a couple of times to be a judge and we've seen the different people that are win are, they, yeah, they've got that personality, it's not the standard stock image, which we all hate with the syringe and the needle on the face, et cetera. And they, yeah, and they, it's all about safety and being listened to as patient, yeah, treating each one as an individual. Mm, really educating patients about, about yeah. things and focusing on what you as a, a practitioner or as a clinic do really well. Um, and yeah, that's, you know, that's that. Those those kind of clinics have got their head down, they're doing what they're doing and they're doing it well. And they're not, you know, they're not worried about what goes on in the wider industry. Of yeah. course, you know, like we all should be concerned about what goes on in the wider industry. But um, yeah, I, I always think focus on what you're doing well and... Uh, <laughs> Because following on from that, we get delegates saying to us, oh, it's so competitive now. I'm not, it's not worthwhile me doing facial aesthetics or aesthetics. Mm. I remember starting in 2002, there was only a handful of people doing it, but yeah. also there's less patients asking for those treatments. What what would you say to those people looking to enter facial aesthetics and say, oh, there's too much competition? I think I'm one of those people who believes there's always enough to go around I'm someone who who um is I'm quite a spiritual person and I'm interested in things like abundance and yeah. the idea you know like the idea that there's not a lack that there's an abundance there's so many patients out there that want treatments um there's so many people that are interested in aesthetics not everybody is going to be right for you in your clinic so having competition is a it's not a bad thing and I know it can be scary in my very niche um little industry <laughs> you know that I work in where um being a, a editor, a copywriter, doing things that are very specifically aesthetics. Um, there's there's three or four of us that do that exact mm -hmm. same thing. And the thing for me is to work collaboratively with those other people to champion those other people. I refer work on to those mm -hmm. other people when I haven't got the time or capacity to do it or where it's something that perhaps is better set to their skill set. And rather than feeling fearful of that competition, um. I just think it's a, it's an opportunity to go, right, okay, well, there's great. There's lots of competition, which means there's lots of demand. People yeah. are getting into this because there's there's a need for it. And I believe that I can offer this really well and there'll be enough work to go around. And um, that's been my my experience is that, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't personally struggled for work, even though <laughs> sometimes you think, oh, there's not going to be enough to go around if this yeah. other person's doing it. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think you can build your your own business in a competitive market and just focus again, focus on what you're doing well and what you can offer as a solution. Not everyone can offer everything. Yeah, of course. No, no, good. As you see, you hit the nail on the head. If there's competition, that means there must the market's big enough. There's a demand for it for yeah. everyone. Um, yeah, and I 100% agree with the abundance mentality. Apart yeah. from when I'm having dessert, there's not enough to go around. <laughs> There's never enough dessert, yeah, Harry. I have that same problem. Keep that to myself. I won't share that. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, bit of fun. Um, have you ever posted a TikTok video? No, do you know what? I haven't. I think I'm too old. <laughs> no, I see people in the same age group as me um, doing TikTok. And it's funny. We had this discussion, um, you know, within some of the, uh, the businesses I work within. Of yeah. course, they do social media so everyone's been going oh we need to be on tiktok and i just <laughs> the other day we've set up a tiktok account now for our 
our menopause and aesthetics. We've got a consumer event coming up in June. And um, Lily, who does the social media and marketing, is um, 20 years younger than me. And she set up our TikTok account. And I thought, well, it's going to be the first time I will go on TikTok. <laughs> you might see me promoting my services, doing a dance. But no, <laughs> have you done one? No, no, no. I, I'm I'm banned from TikTok by my kids. There, oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm not cool enough. So no, no. I haven't done one yet. There. I'm with you. I don't think I'm cool enough either. <laughs> um, obviously, you run a lot of conferences. You see a lot of delegates, clinicians, um, and the industry. You know, inside out. What's your biggest pet peeve in the aesthetics industry? Um, it's a, similar to what I was saying earlier. I think one of the things one of the things that's caused the biggest headache for me in my career, my twenty year career, is the who should be doing what and who's doing what and who shouldn't be doing it debate. And um, I've always felt strongly that injectable treatments should be performed by people with a registration to a um a, a regulator, the NMC, GDC, um, and um, GMC, yeah. and um, but. As we know, the industry has evolved where that's not the case and where there's no legal, um, I guess, no, no law around that. So mm-hmm. that's one of the things I found really challenging. And what I found challenging around it is the constant, um, particularly on social media, arguments around that. And I've had to, i had to remove myself from so, certain social media groups because I just, you know, that I don't find that productive um and it becomes and it becomes a sort of us versus them and and the problem is that we also do have loads of very good beauty therapists working within clinics providing skin treatments doing laser not doing injectables who are sort of tarred with the same brush and then you've got a handful of of people who are doing things that let's face it most of us don't think they should be um so it's it's that that I find is the most challenging thing in the industry and something I really hope that there is a solution to one day because it takes so much time when you're organizing a conference individually checking everybody's registration to make sure and then what will happen is someone will use somebody else's registration they'll get in someone will take a picture of them post it on social media you know this person's it's impossible as a conference organizer with a thousand two thousand people coming to your event to know what every single person's doing behind closed doors, yeah. whether they are or are not qualified, um, it's really challenging. And that's my, <laughs> a bit controversial, but that's my biggest pet peeve. I wish we didn't have to worry about that. It would be much easier. And I'm sure you've seen it with the awards as well. We have yeah. criteria. It says you can't enter if you do this, and people still do. Yeah. So um, you're picking through all of that, and it adds a lot of time onto everything you're doing. And it, it it's very frustrating. It's my biggest. No, no, no. I have the same because with our delegates, we only train medical professionals. And then I checked their GVC and MCG. And we had a couple mm-hmm. of petitions pretend to be nurses. And yeah. you can go on the register and pick out a random number. Obviously, they yeah. used their own name and it didn't match up. So it is quite hard to police. It's hard. The- yes, we've had, you know, like where you find... um the same number is being used by three or four people. And, and you know, some, and this is again where medical practitioners have to take responsibility. They're selling that to someone saying, oh, I'll pay you and I'll, you know, like you pay me this much money and you can use my number, which I just think is highly unethical. Yeah. It's really difficult to sort of weed all that out. And I, it worries me a lot. And I, and I think that um, 
you know how can people think that that's right i don't know but um, it's not and it's yeah i wish that that was not the case but now going back here it's all about the team because we've got a um, beautician who's our skin therapist and she knows so much more about obviously skin anatomy and and peels and sees a big asset to the team absolutely yeah um so yeah there's a role for everyone it's just obviously as you said it's all blurred at the moment it is yeah and that's the sad thing because it ends up being a sort of us and them mentality and again you remember you will remember this I remember when I first got into the industry no one wanted dentists to be doing so and we still have a bit of that now you know it's they shouldn't be doing it they shouldn't be doing it and it's a tricky one (laughs) I'm going to say something biased I find the dentists are the best injectables compared (laughs) to nurses and doctors so that's out there now Um, (laughs) um, have you had any aesthetic treatments Oh, yes, I have. Definitely. <laughs> I've tried so many things for um, the publications that I've written for and, um, and and tried out lots of different treatments to review. So it's been uh, I've tried lots of different things. I haven't really had fillers. Um, <laughs> that's the one thing I've, I've stayed away from. I've had things like Profilo, which I really loved. Yeah. Um, loved had a bit of toxin before. I haven't got any at the moment. But yeah, it's um, I've had things like that and lots of skin treatments um as well which are my favorite thing i think if you keep your skin health in, yeah. in check, then um you know that's a really important thing and and it's nice to try those sorts of treatments out yeah that's another trend because obviously we weren't too interested in skin in the early days but no. that, and a lot of the clinic half the turnover even more is skin related services yeah. compared to injectables yeah and i think actually you know i'm in my mid-40s now so now i'm thinking oh well you know i want some other <laughs> maybe have some other treatments done um and um but when I started in the industry I was in my 20s and I really didn't want to start having fillers at that stage in in my life but I did want to have good skin um and um so it was fantastic being in the industry being able to try topical products being able to try different treatments out and um you know like I've suffered from really bad acne before so having treatments for acne um and I had the mirror dry treatment to stop sweating and that's worked very well I I still don't sweat that's good yeah not training hard enough (laughs) no no it was brilliant that was really effective (laughs) But it's quite important because obviously the clinicians and I say to my guys, delegates, you need to really have the treatments because how can you sell it, one, if you haven't experienced yourself? And or most new patients will either look at your face or they will ask you, have you had any treatments? And mm. it's like going to a fat personal trainer that comes in with a KFC bucket and you don't, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to go to them. <laughs> so, no, and it's so yeah. important, I think. To, I mean, I remember someone once said to me in the industry, because I was – I've just got freckles. It's, I haven't got them so much now, but yeah. I always had freckles as a child. And someone said to me, how can you be the editor of an industry publication with pigmentation like that? And I thought, <laughs> well, thanks. Well, I thought my freckles were quite cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, when you're in the industry, you get asked a lot about treatments. And yeah, um, yeah I've tried so many different things over the years that I've, um, I feel very lucky to be able to try them through uh, by writing about them. Otherwise, yeah. I'm, if I totted up how much I'd spent on treatments, it would have been oh, a lot. <laughs> yeah, a mortgage there. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, so where do you see the future of aesthetics going? Well, this is something I'm really excited about. As I mentioned, I'm quite uh, in my personal life, I'm really into wellness and spirituality and things like that. And um, I really see the future of aesthetics being aligned with wellness functional medicine lifestyle medicine all of these sorts of things we're seeing that coming in more and more now 
and that people don't just want to look good they want to feel good and you know for years people have talked about oh 360 degree approach but now we really are seeing more and more the um people talking about the relation of gut health to skin health and also the mind stuff as well because obviously mental health is really really important when we're talking about aesthetic treatments we're talking not just about body dysmorphia we're talking about people seeking treatments when they are feeling low depressed they've gone through a divorce they've gone through grief I lost my father last year and that aged me that grief aged me um you know so mental health is linked so much to our physical health and to our appearance you know it sort of takes its toll and you can um and I love that I love that bringing in seeing clinics that are bringing in mindfulness things um stuff around mindset and your your overall health your nutrition um and looking at it from a an all-rounded sort of perspective because I think it also when we talk about those issues with who should be doing what in the industry that is what separates clinical or medical people from uh, lay people is that when you can offer a more holistic medical approach that's well-rounded and that looks at all of these other things your hormones and your you know people are taking blood tests and looking at things like that that's what sets practices above for me because they're giving a patient much more than just filling a line or a wrinkle Um, they're giving them a solution that can help them feel better as well as look better and I think that that's um, really key and that's something I'm excited about writing about because I'm interested in it myself yeah and similar with me I was 50 a couple of months ago and I'm looking I'm getting my hormones and blood test taken and and you get if you're interested in yourself then you want you've got a passion for it and you want to be clinic Mm. Hey, um, what three books would you recommend to our audience? Well, I, I had to go get them out this morning. I was like, <laughs> what, should I, what should I recommend? Um, interestingly, most of mine are in that sort of mindset and spiritual uh, arena. Um, I'm gonna, I've got them here, um, but you, obviously this is a recording, so you can't necessarily see them. But um, one is The Miracle Morning by Howard Elrod. Um, yeah. I'm a real morning person and I love having a bit of a morning routine and I think it really sets me up for my my day. Um, and I found this book really useful for yeah. that. I think when you're working for yourself, um, I mean, for me, I work from home and I did that before the pandemic, but I'm not going into an office. I haven't got a separation between my work and my personal life. And so having a morning routine, doing, setting myself up for the day, getting into my day with a positive mindset is really important. And I really enjoyed um, that book. Yeah. I thought that was something that was really, really useful. Um, I've just read The Atomic Habits by James Clear. And again, in a similar way about sort of these ideas of habit stacking and introducing small right actions yeah. towards your goals, um, I think can be really useful. And that can be with that, I was focusing more on my health, but I think it automatically it then comes into your your business and how you're setting yourself goals for your business. Um, and so I found that really useful as well. And then the other one I've got is The Secret, okay. uh, Rhonda Byrne. I read this, first of all, about 10 years ago. Um, oh no, probably more than that, actually. But it for me, that really helped me get out of a lack mentality around money. Yeah. Um, and I think... Fear around finances is one of the biggest things that happens when you are um, self-employed. You know, like don't haven't got a guaranteed this is how much I'm going to earn this month. And so that can put you in a sort of state of fear around the future and what's coming. And um, for me, that book 
really help me get one into that present moment, two into a, a mentality where I'm thinking about abundance and attracting abundance. And I just really believe when you're in that energy of that positive energy, you are more aware of what's around you. So you are looking, seeking out the positive things, seeking out the opportunities rather than seeking out proof that everything's going wrong. Yeah. Um, so I loved that book. I found it really sort of transformational. And I, I love all the things about, you know, sort of signs and things like that as well. But but from a practical point of view, when I went self-employed in 2020 and there wasn't much going on, mm-hmm. I had to use that. I, I was using principles of manifesting and getting yeah. myself into that mindset to attract in and to build up my business. And I did I did really well in that, in that year. And um, it was such a relief because it started off in i was in a lot of fear now i'm glad to say i've read all three books as well so oh, great <laughs> yeah, yeah thank you for that vicky um time's gone really quick 30 minutes I know. So, um if people want to find out more information obviously we'll put some links in the podcast episode but if people want to find out more information about you where can they find you so I've got a little website, which is vickyeldridge.co.uk. And I've only just set up my own Instagram, <laughs> which is I'm three years self-employed. I've set up my work Instagram um, and that's at Vicky Eldridge Copywriting. Um, so that's my business, my business one. So finally, finally got a separate one. I was uh, mixing all my business posts in between yeah, yeah. my posts of my holiday. So <laughs> we all do. We all do. No, no. Yeah. No, thank you for your pearls of wisdom. I'm written quite a lot of notes myself <laughs> there. so no thank you vicky and um look forward to catching up soon thanks so much harry thanks for having me